Thanks for joining us today. We love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life, so we encourage you to share your story with us at info at fellowshipgj.com. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that online at fellowshipgj.com and pick the giving option that works best for you and help us continue to bring the message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thanks for joining us and enjoy today's message. Sometimes as adults, we complicate it. We take the message of God's love and we become overwhelmed and we complicate it. But the truth is that it is simple enough for the youngest of children to understand, yet wonderfully and beautifully complex that it can challenge us individually for a lifetime. My husband and I have three small children. Two of them were in that video, Benaiah, Azariah, and Judah, and they are eight, seven, and almost six years old. And I want you to just um, know something. And I know this is gonna lose me so much credibility with every teenager in the room. Um, so sorry about it, but I am a dorky mom that does star charts. My husband and I believe in star charts. We believe in bribing our children for good behavior. And we are not ashamed. Um, they are adorable and they are cute, but we pay with stars for those smiles because they do not believe that they need to really brush their teeth daily. They are dumbfounded on a daily basis when we say that they have to do it again, even that they should do it twice. They're still shocked. And so we reward behaviors that we want to see uh, with quarters, um, star charts, each, each star is worth a quarter. At the end of a star chart, you could have $10 and you can trade that in for candy quarters or toys at Walmart. And we are unashamed because if it can minimize a fight to have someone brush their hair, we will do that. Um, so I want you to imagine with me that, that my husband and I and are, are, are relaxing at home, a quiet evening. The boys are playing downstairs harmoniously and everything's going perfectly. Um, they're enjoying one another's company in a non-aggressive, very calm manner. And Lavelle and I are in, a rec in our recliner and we're kicked back and we're watching TV and it's peaceful and it's quiet and I'm eating bonbons. And Sorry, I just, I got caught up in it. So then all of a sudden, there's a blood curdling scream from the playroom. Now, not the you took my toy scream or get out of my room scream, but the one that could actually involve blood. If you're a parent, you know what I mean. It's a very distinct scream. And so I have to admit that every single time I've heard that scream, not once have I gone to their star chart. Not once have I evaluated how many stars has that child gotten this month and are they worthy of me answering their scream? Of course not. I leap to my feet. I don't go to the kitchen counter and dig through the piles of paper to try to find that star chart. I simply go to my child. It doesn't matter if they brush their teeth or comb their hair. It doesn't matter if they've been in timeout today or they're gonna be in it tomorrow. All that matters is that is our child and he is in need and we go to them. God wants to be our heavenly father. He wants to have that type of relationship with us. And maybe you're newer to fellowship church and maybe you were raised like I was in a church that implies or straight up says that God keeps a star chart in heaven 
to determine if we're worthy of his love. But I want you to know this morning that that is not true. That God in heaven wants a relationship with every single person on this planet. And he made a way that he could adopt each one of us into his family, regardless of our choices in the past. And the kids already explained how that happens, but it's as simple as we recognize we've made mistakes. That's easy. Second, we have, to, we have to actually ask Jesus for forgiveness. We have to apologize and say, Jesus, would what you did on the cross cover the multitude of my sins? And then third, we pledge, we say, I'm going to follow you for the rest of my life. I'm gonna honor you, obey you, worship you. I'm gonna be in this relationship with you. And if you have done that, as many of you have, then you are an adopted son or daughter of God. And if you need God, he doesn't consult the chart, star chart. He comes to your aid every single time. The Bible says in Galatians chapter four, it says, God sent him, meaning Jesus, to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And so if you have that relationship with him, then you know that your heavenly father is always ready to come to your rescue. And maybe you don't have that relationship yet. It is literally as simple as the kids explained, confessing that you need Jesus in your life, asking him to forgive your sins. In fact, this wasn't planned, but if you would just close your eyes right in the very beginning of the sermon, maybe you're recognizing that you haven't done that yet in your life and you would just want us to pause so that you could have that opportunity right now. So let's pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, we recognize we need you. We all have messed up. We're sorry for those mistakes. Please forgive us. We choose you for our lifetime as our Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, if you've done that just now or a long time ago, then I have been sent here to tell you this. God is not mad at you. God is not mad at you, but so often we feel like God is so angry with us for some unknown reasons. But the Bible teaches that God is merciful and loving, that he's abounding in love, that he's slow to get angry. So rewind the story a little bit to me and my kids and the stars that they try to earn. If I, who am a mere human, don't love my kids based on their perfection, then why do we think God would? Matthew chapter seven in the Bible, Jesus is speaking and he says, which of you, if your son asked for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, will you give him a snake? If then, you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now I'm not saying that God doesn't care how we act. Of course he cares. He has a standard for right and wrong. Just like any parent, he wants us to do the right thing. And he communicates those right things clearly through the Bible. And we, all, we often, that's pretty clear. But where it gets confusing is what do we do and what happens when we mess that up? Because we know we're gonna mess up. We know each one of us is gonna make mistakes. And too often we're keeping that mental list of all the mistakes we made. So when we mess up, the question becomes, is God mad? And I think that as a people, we tend to believe the lie 
that he is. That he's mad at us, that he's gonna withdraw from us because of the mistakes that we made, because we're gonna have to somehow pay for the mistakes that we've made or the distance that we're starting to feel between us and God is messing up something that we somehow have to figure out a secret way to make God stop being mad at us, to get back in his good graces. And many times we, we kind of act like God is this passive, aggressive God who's just waiting for us to figure out how to fix whatever it is that we've done. But the truth friends is that we do not have to punish ourselves. Jesus took the punishment for us. And too often a son or a daughter of God will delay talking to God about the mess up that kind of made them feel separated in the first place because they're embarrassed or ashamed or fearful of what's going to happen. And the longer we take to have that conversation with God in prayer and say, hey, I blew it, then the longer and bigger that gap tends to feel. And this is pretty much what happened in the life of Abraham. So I want to set the story with Genesis 15. It says, Abram believed God, believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. So Abram, Abraham, same guy, two names, was considered righteous because he believed in God. He had a relationship with God. It doesn't say that Abraham was righteous because he did so many right things. It doesn't say that Abraham was righteous because of the number of stars on his heavenly star chart. It doesn't say that Abraham was perfect in his actions. It simply says that God considered him righteous because he believed. And let's fast forward a little bit to Genesis 20. Now, this story gets a little weird. I'm gonna go ahead and confess that right out the bat. This story gets a little weird and I don't have time to like say every little detail that explains every, I, I couldn't even pack it into one sermon um, because it's strange, but I think it illustrates how God loves his children. So let's just take a look. Genesis 20, it says, Abraham moved south to Neve and then he lived between Kadesh and Shur and then he moved to Gear. While living there as a foreigner, Abraham introduced his wife, Sarah, by saying, she is my sister. So I know nobody wants to like talk about that because every man in the room who's married knows he's a dead man. And every woman in the room thinks, yes, I would kill him. So right out the bat, we have this strange dynamic. Abraham and Sarah, husband and wife, arrive at a new land and his play is to say, she is my sister. Now, why would he do this? Okay, this is where it gets a little weird because partly genetically, he was half sisters with her. So that's weird. I'm just gonna put that on the shelf and ignore that today. We do not have time to get into that, okay? There's so much weirdness with that. We're just gonna move on. So Abraham, but also she's his wife. So Abraham arrives in this new area where he knows no one. Kind of picture the Wild West, okay? It's a little bit lawless. There's not a clear government. He's not exactly sure what he's gonna get. And he thinks in his mind that he has a smoking hot wife. And so because of that, he doesn't want people to, I don't know, kill him and take his wife. So he says, she's my sister. So kind of based in fear and, and just concerned that he won't live through the ordeal, he says, she's my sister because he thinks, oh, now people will treat me like her wingman kind of. They'll give me gifts and presents so that they can get in my good graces so maybe they could marry this unmarried woman who's my sister. That's, that's the father of the faith, people, right there. So 
shallow, cowardly in this moment, a a little bit pathetic, but this is the guy that God says is the father of our faith, not because he has the stars on the star chart, but because he believed. So continuing the story, verse two. So King Abimelech of Deir sent for Sarah and had her brought to him at his palace. I would have given up the plan at that point. I would have said, this is not working that great. JK, she's my wife, not so much the sister thing. I would have abandoned the plan, but Abraham does not abandon the plan. Instead, he he lets her go. He doesn't protect her. He doesn't defend her. He doesn't raise an objection. I'm just gonna read verse three. But that night, God came to Abimelech in a dream and told him, you're a dead man for that woman you have taken is already married. I wanna leave this verse up here for a second because the first couple times I read it, I, I wanted it to say that night God came to Abraham in a dream and told him, you're a dead man. Right? I mean, that would sort of make more sense because Abraham's the one that lied. Abraham's the one that didn't defend his wife. But, but the Bible says that God came to Abimelech in the dream and said, you're a dead man. That, that's a little confusing. It's kind of a flip of what you would naturally assume would be to happen. But God isn't confused. So the story continues. Verse four, it says, but Abimelech had not slept with her yet. So he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Didn't Abraham tell me she's my sister? And she herself said, he's my brother. I acted in complete innocence. My hands are clean. In a dream, God responded, yes, I know you're innocent. That's why I kept you from sinning against me and I did not let you touch her. Now return the woman to her husband and he will pray for you for he is a prophet. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly how I felt. I I thought if I had to guess, what would God call Abraham in this moment? He will pray for you for he is an idiot. Right? I mean, men, wouldn't that be how it goes down in your house? I mean, he pray, he'll pray for you for he is a liar. He is a fool. He is a crazy person. But instead, God says, for he is a prophet. And here's why. God doesn't call us by our mistakes. He calls us by our identity. And so even though Abraham, his son, was not doing so hot right now, he was messing up bad. God didn't call him liar, crazy, fool, idiot, like maybe we would have. God called him by his identity as a son, as a prophet, in spite of the fact that in that moment, he wasn't doing so good. And that should give us confidence to recognize that God is not mad at us. He is not mad at you. In spite of the fact that you might look at your life lately and think, man, I have really blown it or I've blown it in the distant past. But, but the Bible is so clear that God calls us by our identity, not by our greatest mistake. And so here Abraham is called prophet and we are called son or daughter or loved, treasured, worthy, mighty, powerful. God doesn't call us by our mistakes. He calls us according to our purpose. So back to our story, continues to defy logic. Verse 14, it says, then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to 
Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, my land is before you. Live wherever you want. And then to Sarah, he said, I am giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover any offense against you before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. Again, when I read this text, I think just sub the names opposite, like pull out Abimelech. Maybe Abraham should have to go to Abimelech with sheep and cattle and a thousand shekels of silver and say, Here, here's a whole bunch of money. I, am, I have messed up. I am sorry. Um, I'm going to leave your land and live wherever you're not the king because I have blown it so bad. But instead, God's The person in the relationship with God is protected and blessed to the end. Did they earn that? Did they deserve that? Why is it that God would go to that extreme to pour out? It's not not even fair. And that is the truth, friends. Favor isn't fair. And when you or I are in a relationship with God, through the person of Jesus Christ, we're his son, we're his daughter, that God is going to protect us. God is going to look out for us and look for ways to bless us. Not because of our star chart, not because of our actions, not any of that, but because of who he is, not because of who we are. This next verse, it gets even more interesting. Verse 17, it says, Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female slaves, so they could have children again. For the Lord had kept any of the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. Then Abraham prayed, the verse said. That implies to me that the whole time this was going down, he maybe wasn't praying. He wasn't even praying. He, why? He was God's son. He was a child of God. He was in the middle of a huge crisis. His wife had been taken by the king and, and he didn't know how to get her back. Why was he not praying? Why wasn't he crying out to God and saying, God, I messed up, help me. This verse 17 implies that he wasn't praying and then he began to pray. I think he didn't pray because he was so embarrassed. He was ashamed. He thought that God was mad at him. He thought, I have done something so weird and twisted and just opposite of God's standards that God must be mad at me so I can't talk to him. How many times do we feel that way as human beings? We think, there I've done it again, that same sin I always fall into. I can't talk to him about it this time. And so we, we move ourselves, we're mad at ourselves. And so we think that God must be mad at us too. But Abraham chose not to pray when he needed God the most. And I think that's what we do. We think, oh, I've blown it. I can't pray. I can't talk about this one. And so we're silent when we need to be talking the most. And one of the biggest signs of maturity for a believer is not perfection, because that's unobtainable. One of the biggest signs of spiritual maturity is when we blow it, how quick do we fix it? 
with God. How quick do we go back to him and pray and say, I'm sorry, that was me. It was on me. I made that mistake. Please forgive me, Lord. How quickly do we go to him? And we're more apt to go quickly if we are confident that he's not mad at us, waiting to strike us with lightning and counting up our star chart. He, he loves us. So God gave Moses the 10 commandments, right? And in giving Moses the 10 commandments, he's like, here's the rules, here's the standards, here's the expectations, just like any parent. But he also, in Exodus 34, six, he also revealed his character. Because it's not cool to have rules without knowing the rule giver. The rule giver sheds light on the rules. And so his character is revealed in verse six. It says, the Lord passed in front of Moses calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. So the very first time God lays out the law, he's like, here's the rules. Here's what I expect. This is what I want. How does he identify himself? How does he let us know who he really is? By letting us know right away, here's the rules, but here's who I am. Here's the standard, but also know I'm slow to anger. I'm full of compassion and mercy. Micah 7 says, Yet where is there another God like you who pardons the guilt of the remnant, overlooking the sins of his special people? Will you not you will not stay angry with your people forever because you delight in showing unfailing love. But some of us, instead of believing that, have bought into this lie that God is mad at us and that we have to make up with some secret formula that's unclear. We have to make up or clean up or fix up whatever it is that's caused this separation from, between us and God. Where did God get such a bad reputation? because the truth is the opposite. One of the most beautiful verses in all the Bible is Romans chapter five, verse eight. It says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for our sins. And when he died for our sins, he died for our sins that we've already committed and he died for the sins that we're yet to commit. And he chose to love us in spite of all of them. So the move, friends, isn't, oh my gosh, I've messed up. He's mad at me. I have to withdraw and pull away from God because he's so mad and I'm mad at myself and he's mad and I feel this distance and I don't know how to fix it. So I'm just going to go away and hide. The move is I've messed up. How do I get to God as quickly as possible? How do, I, how do I quickly get to my knees and simply say, God, I am sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for my mistake. I'm sorry for the, that thing, whatever it is that I've done or that I've done again and again and again, forgive me. And the Bible teaches us that if and when we do that, it's as if we've never sinned. If we confess our sin, he cleanses us from all that's unright or unrighteous about us. When we're at our worst, God's love is at its best and is without conditions. There's a missions organization that's made it their goal to try to translate the Bible into every language on the planet. And there's a particular tribe in Africa that 
was very remote and no one that had a Bible could speak this language. And so a missionary named Dennis Farling decided to go to this tribe and live among the people with a group of Bible translators with the goal of learning and becoming fluent in the language so they could translate the scriptures and give it to this people group in their native language. And so they're living amongst the people and they're learning this language. And it occurs to Dennis as he's learning that every verb in this language is conjugated three different ways. Every single verb can end in an I, an A, or a U in all those tenses, except the word to love. And so he, he's perplexed by this. So he gathers together all of the leaders of the tribe and he brings them into um, the meeting house and he sits them down and he's like, can you help me understand this word to love? Can you explain to me the meaning and concept of love in this African language? So he says, can you divide, D-V-I, the verb ending in I, can you divide your wife? And the men respond, yes. That love depends on the wife's actions. She would be loved as long as she remained faithful, took good care of her husband and children, these kinds of things. And so he said, okay, so the love was, could be there, but then the love would be gone. That's the, that's the definition of devise. So then he said, okay, could you deva your wife? D-V-A. And they respond, yes, that type of love would, would continue to depend on her actions as long as she remained faithful and, and continue to take it, then, then she would be loved. And so then he said, well, could you devu your wife? D-V-U. And everyone in the room laughed at him. They laughed at him and they said, of course not. If you said that, you would have to keep loving your wife no matter what she did. Even if she never got you water or made you meals, even if she committed adultery, you would just have to keep loving her. We would never say devu. That type of love does not exist. And so the missionary says he then sat quietly for several minutes and he thought through the entirety of the gospel and he got to a place where he found John three sixteen in his mind. And then he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And then he stated, God devu his people. And there was complete silence for several minutes. And then the tears started to trickle down the weathered faces of these old elderly men of the tribe. And they finally responded. They said, do you know what that would mean? This would mean that God had to keep loving us over and over and over all the while we rejected his great love. He would be compelled to love us even though we sinned more than all the other people. And that's the truth. That's the kind of love that God has chosen to give us all. That he would love without condition. That he would love not based on what we do, not based on how we act, but based on who he is. He loves because of himself, not because of us. And I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what the details of your story are from this week or this month or this year, but I want you to know if you have that relationship with God, if you said to Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins and you become a son or a daughter of God, I want you to know clearly that God is not mad at you. He loves you. He loves you. 
And whatever you've done that, that's caused you to pull away or start to feel that separation or start to think, no, he's, he's mad at me. Friends, it is as simple as stopping and saying, I am sorry, Lord. And when we say that, that is completely forgiven and forgotten and the unity and the connection that we have with God is just as tight as before we did it. But the key is to receive that and accept that we have to recognize that he's not mad. He's a better parent than we are. And if we wouldn't judge our kids by the star chart when they're in a time of need, then we have to acknowledge that he wouldn't either. So in this moment, I just invite everyone in the room to just close your eyes. I want each person to kind of contemplate and search themselves and ask themselves, is there any distance between me and God right now? And if you're feeling that distance, just in the privacy of your heart, just utter a prayer. God, I'm sorry for whatever it is that I've done or said. And most likely each one of us, something comes to mind of what specifically that is. God, I'm sorry for the way I talked to my kids this week. God, I'm sorry for how I acted in front of the guys on the job this week. God, I'm sorry for falling into that trap again like I did before, whatever it is. And now God, you've heard our private prayers asking for forgiveness. And Lord, we ask that you would blanket this room in your forgiveness and that you would break that power of the lie that God, that you're mad at us and that you would allow us to see and sense and feel your love and your compassion and your tender mercies. And that you would give us the freedom that you want us to have, the freedom that we can experience knowing that we are loved sons and daughters of you. We thank you for what you did on the cross. It's all you that made that possible and we're so grateful for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thank you, church family. We will see you guys next Sunday morning. Thanks for joining us today. We love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So we encourage you to share your story with us at info at Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we wanna encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that online at fellowshipgj.com and pick the giving option that works best for you. Help us continue to bring the message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thanks for joining us and enjoy today's message.